You do what you want to do. Those words have kind of always rung in my ears as I've done ministry. Ever since the very first time that I heard a gentleman kind of pull me to the side and say them to me, you do what you want to do. I was a youth pastor in Alabama in my early 20s, and there were two students who They really only showed up for church and different things that we did very casually. They weren't really involved in anything. And yet they constantly expressed that they wanted discipleship, that they wanted to follow after Jesus. Their parents would come to me and say, can you mentor them? Can you you help them? And we, we would always plan things, and yet they were only casually involved in everything, and they really never showed up when it counted. And there were some bad decisions that were going on in their life and some difficulty with their family. And I was in a meeting with a group of leaders and I kind of just expressed frustration. And I was young and expressed frustration just to the point almost being angry, but still kind of controlling my emotions. And there was an older gentleman who I love so much. His name is Louis Davis, and he was on our youth team, and he taught the high school guys. And after the meeting, he pulled me aside, and he said, you do what you want to do. And I thought, what in the world? Where is that coming from? And he began to describe the situation with these two students that we had gotten you know, frustrated, confused, had been praying for, and He looked me in the eyes and said, Jeremy, the truth is they just don't love Jesus right now. (laughs) We're praying that they do. We're praying that their hearts change. But he said, you got to relax. And he said, you just keep preaching the word and you just keep praying because the reality is this is a heart issue and you do what you want to do. You will be committed to what you want to be committed to. You relax, and you just keep preaching the word. And that has always stuck with me, and it's kind of tempered uh, the way that I do ministry, because there's no amount of guilt. There's no amount of twisting anybody's arms. We want to preach the word of God. We want to declare the truth of of the scriptures. We want to call you to Christ-like wisdom, But until God changes your heart, until you let him implant the word of God into your heart so that your desires change, the reality is you're going to do what you want to do. You're going to do what you want to do until God does what he wants to do in your heart. That's exactly what James unpacks for us in this section of scripture We do what we want to do until God does what he wants to do in our heart. And then only then do we lean in by faith and hear his word and grow, as we've talked about throughout James, in endurance to complete Christ-like wisdom. James, remember, is the half-brother of Jesus, who did not believe in Jesus until after the resurrection, And he saw evidence that, yes, this is the Messiah. And he trusted in Jesus, believed in him for salvation. He became the first pastor in the church of Jerusalem, a pillar for the church, a great theologian, a leader, and eventually a martyr. 
And he writes this letter to a group of Christians who are suffering because they are Christians. Brothers and sisters who have been kicked out of their hometowns, who've had to leave their homes, who've had to move away from their families because they are Christians. And he writes to them and says, expect it. You should expect what's going on with you because you're following Christ. And if they hated him, they're going to hate you. So expect to suffer. It's probably not going to get any easier. But as we began the book, he says, even though you should expect suffering, you can count it all joy. When you are racked with fear and anxiety and anger and frustration and disappointment and hurt in your heart because you are suffering as a Christian, you can also put on the scales of your heart another emotion, which is joy, because you see what God is doing in your life. He is making you like Jesus, and you should count it joy to be like Jesus. And James unpacks this over and over in the book of what it means to be like Jesus by faith, trusting God is good, enduring in his goodness as he is making us complete. As we saw earlier, lacking nothing, being like Christ. And last week, he refers to this Christ-likeness as wisdom. And he says, when you're suffering, count it all joy, but also ask God for wisdom. Count it all joy. He's making you like Christ. What is your response to that goal process in your life? When you suffer, you ask God, how can I be more like Christ as I suffer? That moves to the top of your prayer list. How are you making me like Jesus as I suffer? But he wants to warn us of something in verse 13 as you suffer. And so he unpacks this reality of what our heart wants, what our heart desires, beginning in verse 13. Here's what your heart wants. He says, let no one say when he is tempted. Now, this word tempted is very similar to the words we've seen so far. Testing, trial, where our faith is being proven. Our faith is being brought to the surface of our lives. Do you really believe this? That's what's going on when you suffer. But this word in context obviously points to being tempted to sin. And he says, let no one, when he's suffering, suffering has to guide us in this whole book, by the way. If you leave suffering behind in verse 2, you don't understand the book of James. He says, when you are suffering, you will be tempted to sin. You'll be tempted to walk away from God. When that happens, don't say, I am being tempted by God. Don't, be, don't say, God is tempting me to sin when I suffer. He is causing me to suffer so he can push me away into sin. Don't say that about God. God may allow suffering in your life to prove your faith, but he isn't allowing suffering in your life to sabotage your faith. You got to understand that. Why is this? God can't be tempted with evil. God is holy. God is pure. He's never going to be lured into evil, sin, wickedness. So he's not going to lure you whom he loves and who he's changing to sin. And he himself tempts no one. He doesn't lure us in to sin. He is pure. He is right. 
He says, verse 14, this is a heart issue. But each person, and here when he says each person, he's emphasizing individual responsibility. When you are tempted to sin, what he's going to say is you're not a victim. There's something going on inside you when you are tempted to sin. Let each person, when he is lured and enticed, these terms lure and entice, it means to be drawn by bait. It, It means to be enticed by something and something you want. When you are tempted to sin, there's something going on in your heart and that thing you want to do, say, feel that's out there is drawing you because of something going on in your heart. So even the word lure and entice, it's telling us something about our hearts. If we weren't drawn to sin... We wouldn't want to sin. We wouldn't be lured by sin or enticed by sin. And that's why he says this is happening, the verse continues, by his own desire. God's not doing this. Your desires are doing this. We go back to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam sinned against God, he chose to sin against God. Sin comes into the world and death comes into the world. Death means we are separated from God and you because of your sin, are separated from God. And because of that, you choose to separate yourself further from God. That is something that is going on in your own heart because of your sin nature, because of what you want. And James says, you have to understand this when you are suffering. Notice he continues, verse 15, You are tempted, you are lured, you are enticed by your own desire, the sinful desire that comes from inside of you. And he says, when this is conceived, when this desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And so sin is anything that violates the law or revealed will of God. When you choose to to violate God's will, to disobey God, James says, you don't have to wonder where that came from. It's not the devil made me do it. It's not God's fault. There are sinful desires inside of you because you have chosen to separate yourself from God that continue to be cultivated and you see things you want and there are things you want to do and you do it and this comes from inside of you. A sinful heart causes you to sin. It gives birth to sin. It conceives sin. It brings sin alive in your life. Sin, here we see, is an inside job. It begins on the inside of you and is carried out in action that violates the will of God. But where does this go to? Notice, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. As we just talked about, this is because of the curse of sin in the garden. Adam sins against God. He is separated from God. He's cast out of the garden. We are separated from God, the fullness of of life and goodness in God. And so we continue to choose to sin. And as we continue to choose to sin, guess what happens? We continue to separate ourselves further and further from God. And we continue to grow and live in death separation from God. And so when you choose to sin, it begins inside of you and it ends up with you being further from God. than you were before you decided to sin. That is the process of sin in your life. And James says, 
I want to warn you, when you suffer, your heart's going to want to sin. And you need to understand what's going on inside of you. God's not doing that to you. Maybe he allowed that circumstance. He's not bringing forth sin in the circumstance. He would bring forth grace if he stopped the sin. And maybe he allows it to move forward. Now, one thing we want to clarify here is not every single desire in our heart is always sinful. But our heart does have the propensity to make the desires of our heart sinful. And and, and how do we do that? Well, there could be good desires inside of you. Good, healthy things that you want to do that you should long to do in this world. to, To eat, to drink, to work, ministry. And yet you will take those desires that could even be good... And you will make those desires about you. God has given you those desires to glorify him. Whether you eat or you drink, do all to the glory of God. God has given you those desires to serve others. And yet you will make those desires about you. The drink and the food is mine. The life is mine. And sin causes you to do that. And so sin begins to twist those desires and they turn into gluttony, drunkenness, immorality, lies that are about you and not God and others. And so understand that about your heart. But understand this, your worst enemy is inside of you. The sinful desires in your heart are leading you to spiritual suicide at every moment. To separate yourself from God. No, this is mine. This is about me. The way that it normally works out in our life is our desires. Just like Adam in the garden said, I'm not going to listen to you, God. This garden is mine. And he believed the lies of the serpent and he established his own kingdom and his own rules in the garden. And so sin usually begins by saying, I'm king. And if you look around your life right now and you think you're king, you think you deserve to be happy. And there are so many ways in which you're not happy. And so whose fault is that? Well, so often we begin to blame God for that. God, if you say you're the creator, you're the sovereign of the universe, and you haven't given me, king, what I want... According to my wisdom, you are guilty, God, and I can't trust you, and I have to trust myself to get what I want, and so you do what you want, and you move away from God, and James says that's going to happen when you suffer. When you suffer, and you begin thinking, I'm king, and I deserve to be happy, you're going to look at your circumstances and say, I'm not happy, so I can't trust you, God, in this moment, and you begin to doubt God. And eventually, as we see with the people of the Israel in the wilderness, when they began to doubt God's goodness, what did they do? They began to complain about God. They began to vent. He hasn't given us what we deserve. Pharaoh was better to us. And is that going on in your life when you look at suffering and circumstances right now? Maybe you didn't realize you were doubting God. But you can hear the voice of sin saying, I deserve more. 
I don't deserve this. I deserve to be happy. If God would just do this, if they would just do that, and you begin to grumble and complain, those are signs that you say, I'm king and I can't trust God. And eventually you will walk away from the one that you need the most, God. God's not doing that to you. He's not pushing you away. Your sinful heart is. And that's why right now, in whatever situation you're in, you need a heart check. If there's difficulty in your marriage, if there's difficulty in your relationships at church, as you are balancing your checkbook and you are frustrated, as you look at your life, your time, your schedule, Whatever that difficulty is in this moment, you must check your heart from grabbing that situation and saying, mine, I'm king. God, make me happy in this moment. Because you're on the verge of spiritual suicide. And it began in your heart and it's bringing forth death. And so examine your heart in this moment. Whatever situation that is, Why am I frustrated? Why am I angry? Why am I grumbling? Why am I complaining? Have I made myself king to the point that I can't trust God as king and I'm about to turn and walk away from the one that I need, God himself? That's what your heart wants to do. Next, notice what God wants. He says, don't be deceived, beloved brethren. And he just reiterates that point. Don't be tricked, because that's one of the things your heart does. Tricks you into thinking it's God's fault. It's not yours. It begins inside of you. Notice he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. This is over and over in the book of James. Very pastoral. And one of the reasons he's so pastoral is because he's suffering himself. James doesn't write this book from an ivory tower. He's in the grit and grime of suffering for the sake of the gospel himself. He is the pillar of the church in Jerusalem. People know he's a pastor. He's suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he says, we're partners in this. And instead of sin that leads to death, notice verse 17, what God gives. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Now, these words, good, Imperfect. Take us back to earlier in the chapter where there is the term completion. And this is Christ-likeness. So every whole complete gift comes from God. What is this gift? In context, it is Christ-like wisdom. Remember last week, if you lack wisdom, ask God and he will give it to you. He will give this gift from you. This whole perfect gift of being made like Christ. When you suffer, God, I want to be like Jesus. How can I be like Jesus? He will give you that gift. It comes down directly, he says here, from the Father of lights. This gift of Christ-like wisdom. Now, he uses this term for God, Father of lights here, to show that God, God is the source of all revelation, All enlightenment in light of Christ. He has given us Jesus as the full and final revelation. And this wisdom of Christ is a light into the world. And so what is God doing with this light of wisdom? He's becoming the father of lights. He's bringing forth more lights. Notice he says, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so God's intention 
is to take the light of Christ's wisdom and father more lights in the world. More lights that display the sacrificial wisdom of Christ. And where does he do it? Inside you. You become a light of Christ's wisdom. And that is what God is giving to you. The gift of being Christ-like. He's not causing you to sin. No, he's giving you the good and perfect gift of becoming like Christ. And there's no variation in him. He doesn't change. This is his motive, is that you would be like Christ. So how does he give this wisdom? Verse 18. He said, of his own will, of his own desire. This also points to his grace. So sin is leading you to death. And you're going to march down that trail. And yet God steps in by his grace and does something else by his own will, by his own pleasure. Notice he says, brought us forth by the word of truth. Literally, he births us as those who know and love and follow Christ. Believers, Christians, the church. God births us as lights in the world who are following after Christ. Notice how he does it, by the word of truth. Instead of allowing you to continue in sin, God steps in and births you by his word, the gospel, the word of truth, the truth about Jesus, that you can have your sins forgiven because of his cross, that you will be raised from the dead because he was raised from the dead, that you are covered in his righteousness and you have his eternal kingdom. The spirit of God steps in and implants that truth in your heart and makes you alive. And so that desire to sin and walk toward death is short-circuited by the power of the word of God and the spirit of God from the father of lights. And here he's referring to the work of the spirit, being born again, being regenerated, where the word of God comes in by the spirit and changes our hearts. And notice he continues to describe that, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Because of sin, Death has cursed the world. And we live in a world cursed with death. And yet the Father of light sends this wisdom of the gospel into the world that makes your heart new. And as we wait a final creation where Jesus will step in and make everything new, that new creation begins in your heart by the power of the Spirit. You are connected to the new creation where everything will be made new by the power of the word of God, by the work of the spirit, because the father of lights is generous and he's gracious to do that in your heart. And so you are a first fruit of what's coming in the new creation. You are the beginning of the new creation. This happens in your heart. And so the reality is your heart is marching toward death, spiritual suicide. But the father of light short circuits that desire. And he plants his spirit and word inside of you so that you desire Christ-like wisdom. And the way James describes all of this takes us back to Genesis chapter 1. When God was creating, and what did he do? He said, let there be light. And James is saying the same thing. If you're a Christian here today, the same thing has happened in your heart. With the gospel, God has spoken by the power of your spirit, by the power of his spirit into your heart and said, let there be light. 
May you see the wisdom of Christ who suffered and died for you and rose from the dead. And that light shines into your heart. And your heart becomes a mirror to the rest of the world where that light is reflected from your life. And God becomes the father of lights in the world by showing forth the wisdom of Christ in your life. Over and over and over and over and over again. We are lights for Christ-like wisdom here today because the Father has birthed us by the Word and the power of the Spirit, by His grace. And you should just stop and thank God for His grace in that. If you, for just a tinge in your heart in this moment, long to be like Jesus, it is God's grace that He has spoken light into your heart. You didn't do that. You weren't wise enough. You didn't even want that. You want it to march to hell. And yet God stepped in and said, no, no, no. I'm going to give you light. And you're going to be a light in the world. And so when you suffer, back to suffering, some of you are like, can we get away from suffering? No. It's what the book's about. I didn't realize that to that extent until I got to studying it. I probably wouldn't have picked this book. But when you suffer, what does your heart want? To die. What does God want? Be like Jesus. You don't have to wonder why you're suffering. It's so you can be like Jesus. It's not so that you would sin. God didn't put you in that marriage so you would sin. God didn't put you in that relationship so you would sin. God didn't give you those finances so you would sin. God didn't put you in that traffic so you would sin. God didn't change your plan so you would sin. God didn't cause that betrayal in your life so you would sin. God didn't cause any of those things. He, may, he allowed them so you would display Christ-like wisdom and so that you would love your enemy. Who is your enemy today? Love them. That's Christ-like wisdom. That's the light of the gospel. So that you would be merciful to those who have condemned you. So you would encourage those who gossip about you. So you would serve those who slander you. That is Christ-like wisdom. And that is the light of the gospel. And it is so countercultural. We live in a world that is, that is glutted on darkness and self-centeredness. And so when you begin to act like Jesus and you love and you forgive and you're merciful, people are blinded. Where did that light come from? Oh, it could only come from the Father of light by the power of the Spirit according to the Word. Thank God for His grace if that's in your life. But how do you cultivate this? Verse 19, he says, Know this, beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So we have what our heart wants, what God wants. And if you're a Christian here today, or if you hear this and you're like, No, I want what God wants. How do you do it? Well, you cultivate it what God wants in the word of God. And that's what he describes here. We read verse 19 and so often we apply this to conflict resolution. When you're in an argument, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's really good advice if you're in an argument. Shut up. Listen and don't get mad. Like That would resolve a lot of your conflict with others. But again, back to suffering. <laughs> James says, when you're suffering and you ask God for Christ-like wisdom, be quiet. Listen for it. He's generous. He's gracious. He will give it. Listen for God's wisdom 
And then don't get mad and reject his wisdom. He's talking about listening to the word of God. He says, be quick to hear. Notice that phrase. It's actually quick to the hearing. And James could have been referring to when they gathered together as a church and the apostles had to teach them the word of God before they had the word of God. And he says, you need to be quick getting together and hearing the word of God taught because you need the word of God. But here today, we don't have to search for God's wisdom. God's wisdom is found in the Bible. The Bible, which is about Jesus, the word of God, which is the story of Jesus, which is the story of wisdom. It is in the Bible. And what the spirit that has been implanted into your heart by God does, spirit indwells you. And what the spirit's goal in your life right now is to conform you to God's wisdom in the book the spirit wrote. And so the spirit is calling out to the word of God to teach you what God has said in his word. And so James says, when you suffer, don't sin. Know what God wants. How do I know what God's, God wants? I got to get in the word of God. When you're suffering, that's your first move to your Bible, to the word of God, to the hearing of the word of God, to lean in The terminology here is to be on edge. I have to hear from God. He's the only one who can explain my situation. He's the only one who can tell me what to do. I have to read the word of God, memorize the word of God, study the word of God, expect to hear from God in his word. Let me ask you an honest question. Don't answer out loud. Is this the only time in your week when you are hearing the word of God? Don't shake your head. Don't just be quiet. Be still. You don't want anybody to know that, right? Maybe you do. Maybe we need to confess the sin. I don't know. But honestly, is this the only time that that ESV Bible app is lit up on your phone? The pages are, are cracked. You're in the car. Oh, it's still here from last Sunday. Grab your Bible. Is, is this, your heart is walking you to spiritual suicide. If you are not in the word of God and this is the only time, you're going to die. You're going to leave Christ. You're not going to want Christ. You're not going to want to follow after him. I see it so often when people, they, they meet with me and they, they have these problems. I just, I don't, I don't love Jesus. I have these difficulties. I don't know how to trust Jesus. They're worried. They're anxious. And I ask, it's the first question that I ask, how much time do you spend in the word of God? And there is a blank stare. That's why I preach for 45 minutes. Because you're not reading your Bible. I'm sorry. I I see it in the world. I see it in our lives. Even my life. I'm not getting enough of it. You've got to have the word of God or you're going to die. And if you're in the word of God, it's never enough. I need more. I need more. 
because you understand your heart and you understand what God wants and you want it more. Life is too hard. Our hearts are too wicked to not be in the Word of God, to not have it ringing in our lives, to not have it implanted in our heart and it all around us all of the time. And so how do we hear it? Notice he continues, be slow to speak. Slow here with your own wisdom. You're quick to hear God's wisdom. You're not speaking your wisdom. One of the things that is so common in our day is we will, yeah, but, and well, actually, the Bible to death. Now, what do I mean by the well, actually? My wife hates it when I do that little character, but that is the nerdy character that I know more than you. And in every conversation you're in with that person, they're always going, well, actually, well, actually, I'm getting carried away. We do that to the Bible, and we do it this way. Life is so hard, we go, well, actually, the Bible doesn't address that. Oh, goodness. That is Satan's ploy to keep you out of the Word of God and away from it. Yeah, but I know God says that. Yeah, but my situation's different. And and God says here, I know there's children in the room. He says, shut up and listen to me. Be quiet with your own wisdom. And listen to what I have to say. And let me go to work on your heart. Quit speaking to yourself. Be slow to speak. Quit saying, this isn't fair. I deserve to be happy. God doesn't love me. My situation is different. I heard something different on the podcast. I read something different on the mommy blog. The seven steps to this and that is not here. You're so glutted with those other things. May the word of God be your primary source of wisdom. Get in the word of God. Be quiet and listen. How do we hear the word of God? We lean in to hear, we're slow to speak, and then we repent of resentment. Notice he says slow to anger. What is that? It is deep-seated, boiling resentment in your heart and soul as you hear what God calls you to do. And he says in verse 20, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you're asking, God, how do I live like Christ? And you're irritated by the way that he calls you to live like Christ, you will not live like Christ. And so when you come to the word of God, you have to repent of the things that make you angry. And that's okay. You're not Jesus. And so when you read your Bible, there's going to be things that irritate you and frustrate you. He's going to call you to things because you have a sinful heart that calls you to be angry. And what James says is, listen, be quiet and repent of that resentment because the problem, if it's in the word of God, If it's here, it's clear. The problem isn't with God, it's with you. And you repent of that. You repent of that hardness in your heart. Some of you resent God for calling you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's why you're not doing it. Some of you resent God for calling you to submit and respect your husband. That's why you're not doing it, because you're mad at God, because he said that's what you should do. Some of you are mad in the book of James because he says, count it all joy when you suffer. And you're irritated. God, don't say that. I want to be miserable and complain and grumble. I want to be anxious. 
No, you don't. So quit being irritated with God because he calls you to joy and what is good and repent of that resentment. Be quick to hear, be quiet, and repent of resentment so that next week we're going to talk about you can do the word of God. And then he says this, confess sin so you can hear the word of God. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. He says that you're at a crossroads between your heart and wisdom. He says, what you've got to start doing is putting away filthiness and wickedness that has overgrown in your life that is causing you to be unable to hear the word of God. This word filthiness is also can be translated wax and could refer to earwax. There's a play on words. He says, filthiness and sin has built up so much in your life that it has clogged your ears from hearing what God has to say. So when you come to the word of God, you've got to pull that out. You've got to repent of sin. You've got to confess desires that aren't Christ-like so that you can hear how to be Christ-like. And he says, rampant, or it's overgrowth of wickedness. The, the wickedness in your life, the evil actions that you have allowed to just go on and on and on, they are like overgrowth that doesn't allow the word of God to penetrate and go into your mind and your heart and your life. And you've got to turn from that sin. You've got to commit, God, I have sinful desires that I need changed. And I have sinful actions that I need changed. And you confess and you turn from those things and you say, I need the word of God. I need to hear what you want. Now, we, here in verse 21, we have to understand the nature of the Bible. You see, the Word of God in our life, it's not just like a rock that we go out behind our house and we dig a hole and we put this rock in there. Maybe it's a precious rock. Maybe it's worth a lot of money and we hide it in our backyard. Sounds like a Charlie Daniels song, I know, but. And it's just there. And then generations and generations, somebody's going to uncover it and it's there. That's not what the word of God is in your life. He describes the word of God here as an implanted seed. And it goes into your heart and then it begins to live. And then it begins to grow. And it's not hidden. It becomes seen in your life as it grows. And just like any seed that we plant, first of all, we have to kill the weeds. We, we have to rake the ground. And he says, that's what confession and repentance is. I want your desires, not my desires. I want your patterns in my life, not the patterns I've established in my life. And then even so, the, the dead weeds of sin that the gospel has killed, they still have roots in our heart. They're dead. They don't have any power over us, but they're still there. Just the natural way that you feel about things is still there. And you have to pull them out and pray for God's desires. And the overgrowth of, of thatch and dead weeds that, that, yeah, they have been sprayed and they are dead and they do not live, but they're still there. And, and the seed in your heart can't breathe until you pull it back. And so you are confessing your sinful desires and you are confessing the patterns in your life. You're pulling those things back and you're saying, God, tell me what you want. 
Tell me what you want with my life. Christ-like wisdom, show me how to do it by the power of your spirit. And you are giving the word of God air to breathe. You are allowing the seed of the word to fill the sun of the word so that it can grow by the power of the spirit in your life. And then lastly, he says, as you come before the word of God, always remind yourself of the gospel. He says, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Receive. This is another word for faith, meekness. It means to be harnessed by the word of God. But I want, I want you to look at the last part. He says, the implanted word. And here's the gospel that God is planting in the world to bring forth new creation and life. He sent Jeep. Jesus into the world to live and die a perfect life in your place, to be raised from the dead, to create this thing called the church where the new age, the new creation lives. This is the gospel is the seed that has been planted to do that. And that's why he says it saves your soul. It rescues you from your sin, the penalty of sin that you are guilty and deserve hell. The, the, the power of sin as you continually walk in the word of God and eventually the presence of sin. And so what James says is when you lean in to hear God's wisdom, you can't do it without the gospel. You can't. We don't just create to-do lists around here from the word of God. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this without the gospel because you can do a lot of things and think a lot of yourself and still go to hell and so we always come back to the gospel that I am not like Christ and I need his cross for me I am not like Christ and I need his righteousness for me I am not like Christ and I will die and spend eternity in hell unless the gospel is implanted in me by the power of the spirit to save me and you got to remind yourself of that every time you come to the Word of God. Here's what will go on in your life. And it, it, for some of us, it's why we hate to read our Bibles. We hate to come to church and hear sermons. It's because we're not connecting the gospel to all of these things. If you're not trusting in Jesus' life and death for you, when you come to hear the Word of God, God will just be a taskmaster calling you to obey all the time. And you can't do it. <laughs> And you get frustrated. God will be overbearing like a hammer who's just issuing critique, 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 critique. That's not what's going on. He is displaying holiness in Christ. So you would look to Christ alone. And without the gospel, your heart is going to be bitter and angry. And you're going to grow in doubt and eventually run from God. Without the gospel, the words the wisdom of Christ will cause you to despair because you can't do it on your own. And so when you come before the word of God, you've always got to say, I need Christ. I need the implanted word of the gospel in my soul. And it reminds you God is good. And so what he's calling you to is good for you. And it keeps the soil of your heart soft, reminding yourself God is good what he's calling me to do is good, and you receive his word. But maybe you're here today and you don't want to hear the word of God. Maybe you don't want to follow Christ. Well, I'm going to plead with you to do the same thing. Believe in Christ. Follow Christ. Maybe you're here today and you feel, that's not what I want to do. Oh, I believe you do what you want to do. 
That's why I'm calling you to let God do what he wants to do in your heart right now. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. And I guarantee you will do what you want to do, which is what God wants you to do in Christ.